Good morning. My name's Jeremy, and it's great to be able to share with you uh, this morning. I've been placed here as a student this year amidst my studies, um, and actually be uh, ending at the end of the, this year, uh, leaving in January. And yet it's great to be able to share with you this last time and one week before Christmas. Uh, and when I was growing up, I so looked forward to Christmas. I absolutely loved it. I looked forward to the food, the presents, the summer holidays, and spending time, of course, with family. It was easily my favourite time of year. I grew up in a fairly close family, and sometimes we would see other relatives at Christmas as well, but mostly it was about us just being together at home, being comfortable together as a family. We'd have presents under the tree and open them up in our pyjamas on Christmas morning. We'd go to church, but fortunately that didn't take too much of the day. We'd have roast turkey and ham, Christmas pudding for dessert with traditional white custard sauce. Then it'll be time in the afternoon to just relax after all that eating and excitement or maybe play a game together outside. So Christmas Day was my favourite time of the year. And you can imagine, though, it was a big shock to me an invasion of my core beliefs and values when some unusual person, someone our family didn't even know, would be with us for Christmas lunch. I thought it was such an outrage because of all days, surely Christmas is the day to close the doors and be just together as a family. I did not like it at all. It made the day awkward, less enjoyable, and it was really just a matter of waiting until later in the afternoon and then mum or dad would drive that person home. But as I reflect on this, I find it very interesting as I come to talk to you today. Because we're now at the end of a series called White Space Christmas, where we're trying to make space in our lives for what's most important at Christmas. And three weeks ago, our senior minister, Tim, introduced this theme to us, and he highlighted uh, the Google homepage, which you notice has a lot of white space, making it very easy to focus on what Google is really about, and that is searching the internet. It's so straightforward and quick to use Google as a search engine now, and so really no one basically goes to, or no decent person at least, goes to Yahoo where you just find all this rubbish that will lead you goodness knows where. Now, I'm sorry if you use Yahoo, but honestly, yeah, um, there's no point checking it out. Um, but white space, it's actually a deliberate and intentional design. It cuts out the distractions and it provides focus. It helps us to receive what the creator or the designer has deemed most important. And in this series, we're saying that at Christmas, it's good to cut out some of those unnecessary distractions. 
But of course, this sounds really good in theory, but is really hard in practice. Because I still find myself overloaded with all the food, the presents, the parties, the shopping, the Christmas tree, the decorations, going to see the Christmas lights, visiting Santa, or at least seeing Santa walking the streets like I did yesterday, preparing baked goods, writing cards, singing carols, checking a list, checking it twice, <laughs> not to mention, uh, of course, going to church. Just thinking about it all makes me tired. I should let you know, though, that this kind of Christmas was actually only invented a few hundred years ago. Everything about the tree, the decorations, the giving of presents, Santa, they're all quite modern. But through the power of advertising and consumption, they're now ingrained in our culture and life. This has been around for a little while now, so that even 50 years ago, the Christian writer C.S. Lewis struggled with this reality of Christmas being so commercial. He said, Can it really be my duty to buy and receive masses of junk each Christmas just to help the shopkeepers? You can replace the word winter, of course, with summer in our context at Christmas time. And you might have heard last week in Andrew's sermon that the central figure of Christmas is, of course, Santa, as we focus on presents and giving out of obligation. And the retailers are very happy because we often give things that people don't actually need. Sounds kind of depressing, really. <laughs> Um, but how do we manage in this festival that's focused on buying, consumption and excess? And how do we avoid, actually, the problem that I experienced of becoming selfish and unloving? All the clutter of Christmas seems to direct us this way. Uh, most people in Australia, they, they know that the word Christ forms the, the start of the word Christmas. We get that but I'm living testimony to the fact that it's really difficult to live like Christ at Christmas. And I should let you know, my family was a Salvation Army family. If there's one organisation in terms of being good at caring for the needy and outcast at Christmas, it's the Salvos, right? Yet even our family struggled to welcome outsiders at Christmas, and I didn't want a bar of it. Christmas ended up encouraging my own selfishness instead of nurturing my love. So how do we embrace this idea of white space Christmas and think about this topic of today of loving all in our relationships? Well, the passage that Margaret read to us, Philippians 2, provides a great model of what it looks like and what it means to love all. Uh, it's a really countercultural model. It's a radical vision that's presented. 
And of course, it's the life and person of Jesus that we see providing a paradigm or an example of love and humility. And this example isn't just something to witness, but it's given to transform our own love, our own attitude as we partner with Jesus. By what Jesus has done and through the work of his church and by his spirit today, we can follow his example. Because it's actually quite interesting. The problem that the Philippian church experienced all those years ago is not totally dissimilar to the issues we face today. Uh, This church uh, in Philippi lived in a society based on selfish ambition, pride, uh, achievement, self-sufficiency, and competition. Sound familiar? Uh, They lived in a setting where even their friendships, while very important, were essentially selfish because you'd only give something to receive something in return. In their society, status was very important. If you had a high-paying job or came from a high-ranking family, you didn't reach down to those at the bottom of the ladder. And unfortunately, this selfishness was evident also in the church. People lacked humility in love. Yeah, they lacked humility and they lacked uh, love. And people would stay in their own friendship groups instead of seeking relationship with people who disagreed with them. So today's reading outlines a different pattern based on Jesus. So I invite you, if you've got your Bibles there, let's look again at that passage uh, where we see from Philippians 2 that verse 6 talks about the pre-existent high position of Jesus Christ. It says, who in very nature God, or existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. This idea here is actually remarkable. Lots of people say all the religions are very similar or the same. Well, that's uh, rubbish, of course, because no other religion in the world talks about the God of the universe humbling himself to serve the people that he made. But this is what these verses say. It says that God in Jesus comes to honour and serve human beings. This central idea in Christianity is offensive to Jews and Muslims and it's completely bizarre to Hindus and Buddhists. But this is at the heart of what Christmas is really about. And not only does God come to serve, but he's born as a human, as one of his own creatures. It's interesting seeing uh, the different videos or the different presentations or listening to the carols because I feel like they tend to, while they're, they're true to the story, they often seem to sort of bump up the excitement and drama 
of Jesus' arrival. And that kind of makes sense because when we think about important kings coming, they come with pomp and ceremony, with music. They seek to look different and special compared to the common people. A king comes and he displays his wealth and his power. But this king and God at Christmas comes with nothing. He's naked. He's born as a baby. This God and king is helpless. He's needy. He's humble. And we saw that his first visitors are the shepherds, the outcasts, because uh, Jews didn't like them because they didn't keep the cleanliness laws of Judaism. Uh, They smelt bad, they looked bad. But these outcasts are the first ones to see God in the flesh. Jesus comes to the lowest of the low and he becomes low himself. And the story does not end there. Jesus' whole life, of course, is a picture of love and humility. Verse 8 in our reading says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God doesn't just tell us that he cares for those who are suffering. God actually comes and himself suffers. Jesus died like a criminal on a tree of shame. So we now know that there's nothing too shameful for him. I love the poem by uh, the English poet Edward Shillitoe reflecting on this called Jesus of the Scars. He says, The other gods, they were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to thy throne. He means the cross. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The scars of our lives, emotional, relational, spiritual, physical scars, they all cause us pain. And I know that there's people in this church now who are really suffering. And this God, God in Christ, has scars too. He doesn't stand above us when we're suffering, but he comes right down within us, with with us in our suffering, even when we don't understand why this is happening. And he calls those who belong to Jesus to come alongside those who are suffering, to be with them, and to identify with Jesus as we sit with them. Verse 1 of today's reading talks about how Christians have unity with Christ, being comforted from his love, sharing in the spirit of Christ, and having tenderness and compassion. And because Jesus lived this out, all those who belong to him 
can share his love and humility. Now, I heard about a church that tries to do this in quite a radical way. Uh, It's one in Denver, Colorado. The church is called Scum of the Earth. I like this name because it's a good reminder, actually, of what it can mean or be like being a Christian. Uh, I'm not, not sure if you've thought about Christians that way before, but this is a term that actually... Uh, Paul uses in another part of the New Testament when he speaks of himself, of serving Christ and identifying with him. Because imitating Jesus means putting yourself in a humble and lowly position. Uh, To receive Christ takes a certain amount of humility and to live like Christ also means embracing humility and valuing others. And this idea is actually a really difficult thing because sometimes when you do it, people will then look down on you or even take advantage of you when you put yourself forward that way. But a name like scum of the earth puts this idea of humility right at the centre It's a place for people to belong when they don't fit in anywhere else. And I heard about this church from someone I actually really looked up to, someone I highly respected because he's he's a well-known professor um, around the world. And he said to me, Jeremy, I don't feel like I fit in anywhere, so of course this is the right church for me. And then I realised that his worldly success of having so many books and being so well known actually counts for nothing because of his commitment in following Christ. Uh, his, His following of Jesus actually makes him be comfortable with his own awkwardness in the world. Scum, as they like to call it, is a church where regardless of how you look or what music you like or your education or your circumstances or background, you are welcomed. And that is what church should be. It's a place modelled on Jesus who humbled himself, lowering himself even to death, death on a cross. So at Christmas, we find that an outrageous invasion has taken place. God himself has come down in the flesh to lift up those in need. Yet when I'm busy with my own agenda and the busyness of Christmas, it's so easy to be closed off to this invasion. We need to let go of these cultural priorities and actually allow and let Jesus in. So that as we focus on Jesus at Christmas, we begin to realise that we're actually receiving him when we let others and strangers invade our lives. How this happens for you will depend on your own situation. But maybe it's just as easy as uh, or something like walking across the road, uh, walking across the room, even uh, to talk to someone who's not your friend. 
Uh, that might be just the person who helps you to see Jesus in a new situation. Or maybe it's by showing the humility of Jesus as you take a moment to talk to someone you'd normally pass by. It may well mean inviting someone into your home who doesn't normally receive that honour. Uh, beware that if your family protests, that's actually normal um, and maybe they're in good company um, by doing so. And we heard about, of course, the tear gifts that are on sale. When you give a gift that way, they're never going to pay you back, of course. Or maybe there is someone in your life already who maybe you're a bit closed off to, but they're actually there to help you know and experience Jesus, that you need God's help and wisdom as you open yourself up to them. And of course, many of us, uh, we need God's healing in our own lives to overcome our own fear or insecurity so then we can enter into that difficult place of someone else. Uh, last Sunday, I was visiting a church in Dandenong and I was actually weighing up whether this would be the church I'd accept their offer of a role there. And since then I have, actually, and that's exciting for me. Uh, that's where I'm going to be working next year. But I was sitting there, and it was the end of the service. It was a context where the culture is very different to what I'm used to. The style of worship is very different to what I'm used to. And I found myself very tired at the end of the service, uh, just because... That's what happens when everything's so strange to, to you. And I was, it's the end of the service, and I was looking at the people, and I silently prayed to God, um, help me to see these people as you see them. Help me to love them as Jesus loves them. Now, this prayer might actually take longer than the few years I'm probably going to be there to be answered. Um, it's a difficult thing, but I feel like just by saying that prayer, I'm beginning on a journey to learn to love like Christ and learning his humility. So I wonder for you where that place is, where maybe you need to say that prayer and learn from Jesus uh, to love like he does. For all of us, it is about making space and focusing on Jesus, learning from him as we allow him to invade our lives and so help us to reach out to others. So now let's pray to that end. The Son of God, the Eternal King, he came with life and love to bring. The word, heaven and earth, he did make, yet he is the one we so easily forsake. He humbled himself amidst our danger, the lowly one at Christmas, wrapped in a manger. Help us, O oh God, to embrace the humble love of Jesus, Help us to love others as he loves them and help us to have space for Jesus 
as we invite him to invade our lives and reach out in love. Amen.